You're listening to Knowing Faith, a podcast of Training the Church. This is Kyle Worley. I'm joined by my co-host, Jen Wilkin. Hey. JT English. Yo. And we're also joined by Jeremy Treat. Glad to be here. Glad to have you here. So Jeremy is a pastor in Reality LA, pastor for Preaching and Vision. Is that correct? Yeah. Yes. A Reality LA, a church in Los Angeles. He's the author of The Crucified King, a book we highly we endorse love we and love, love. And also a more recent work, Seek First, How the Kingdom of God Changes Everything. We hope you enjoyed the discussion. All right. Well, we're sitting here with Jeremy Treat. Glad to have you on, man. Yeah, it's great to be here. Yeah. Hey, Jeremy. All the way from California. Yeah. We just you just did a FaceTime thing, and the FaceTime of your was it your wife in California? Yeah. It it left all of us envious. I think. We're in a dark cage <laughs> recording a podcast right now, and we saw the sun and palm trees, and palm we all trees. had like a cri- like a life crisis. Uh-huh. Like, why are we here? Yeah. Why have we chosen to be here? As opposed you guys to have else? toll roads. We do. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Wait, we, is, we, is we have strip centers too. Have you seen any of strip our strip centers? centers? <laughs> oh wait, are toll roads a luxury? <laughs> I don't know. Okay. It, was, it, was a, it was a unique thing that stood He's out just, to me. It was an olive branch. He's trying to give us an olive branch. You know what stood out to me? The barbecue I just ate was amazing. Oh really? Okay. You're gonna have the meat sweats a little bit. Yeah. The thing that stood out to me when I moved to Flower Mound is how many donut shops there are. Oh, there are a Have lot. you ever noticed this? Oh, no. Really? Donut shops? There are donut shops in every strip. It's got to be a front for something. I mean... No, I feel like in Texas, though, they're everywhere. Fine. But, like, there's no other place in the country where there's a donut shop on every corner. Yeah. Well, like, Texas. Where are all these... Well, Texas, donuts going. <laughs> Texas, they're going in the mouths of Texas. I don't think you need to ask that. <laughs> Fair enough. We always felt like it was uh, sushi restaurants yes. and title companies. That's oh, what yeah, you yeah. see on every. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Well, for a little while, you know, there's always like an industry that starts and then it seems like it immediately saturates. Like I remember like the first time I saw a Froyo place. Yeah. Then I saw like 10,000 Froyo places. I'm like, wow, they got mm-hmm. they got here quick. And then the thing with vapes. Vapes. And then it was like, oh, I was like, oh, that's a vape store. And then oh, it was like yeah. 10,000 vape stores. Mm-hmm. What's your favorite thing about living in California? Mm, the people I just there's people there from all over the world I mean I feel like you're hearing different languages and hearing stories and I just love meeting people do you you know what Flower Mound has that you don't have (laughs) well I did did text my wife this morning with with a picture (laughs) and said I don't see a lot of flowers in Flower Mm, Mound oh they're there (laughs) do you know what we have have we talked about this on the podcast about the feral flock of peacocks oh no I don't know anything about yeah. Yeah. We have a wild peacock herd. Wow. Yeah, we do. Yeah. And the flower mound, you, I mean, how tall are you? 6'1. You could see over it. <laughs> that's what a mound is no, in Texas. No, that's not true. It's <laughs> no, bigger than that. <laughs> it's, like, it's like six feet tall. You guys have water towers, though, too. Oh. Just, yeah. You know, yeah. Wait, where do y'all, yeah. you, you don't have water towers? <laughs> no. Where's they the water? The, the ocean. <laughs> LA steals its water <laughs> okay. from, from another valley. There's okay. a whole story behind All it. All right. Huh. Well, it seems like LA has a lot of stories, I would imagine. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, hey, listen, we're really glad to have you on. Selfishly, I want to just talk about basketball with you because LA is a basketball town. Um, but I do, I did want to ask, so as a pastor there, what's it been like? I mean, the uh, we're recording this three weeks, four weeks after everything happened with Kobe, yeah. his death and his demise. And so when you think about, is demise not the no, right word to use? That feels like a tough word. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. I mean, the tragic death, tragic of, death. of a yeah. cultural tragic icon. Yeah. Um, love him or hate him, right? But so in LA, though, like there has been like a crazy 
crazy outpouring yeah. of attention. Mm-hmm. Is this like a thing that you're having like convert like legitimate conversations oh, with yeah. people about? It, it hit hard. It surprised me how deep it shook the city, and even mm. for me personally. I mean, I I have four daughters, like Kobe, and so that when I first heard of his daughter Gianna passing as a part of it, that just sunk deep. Mm. But it, it almost felt like I mean, LA is a really broken city. Like it's different than a lot of people think, and and it brokenness both people who live on the streets or people in the hills and it almost felt like with kobe's death it was so broad reaching that it was it like opened people up it tapped into everyone's pain and opened Mm. up this like Mm. communal cathartic experience where everyone was just grieving and lamenting together um and so yeah it was very like tense i mean you could it was an aura over the city for for a good couple of weeks where any conversation you had, you could just, you could see, you could see it in people's faces. Wow. Do you think, do global cities like LA, do they have a higher volume of moments like that just because of like how well, big they are and how much of an epicenter of like yeah, influence sure. they are? Yeah. And LA, it just has a lot of people who are more known, but I mean, this coming on the heels of Nipsey Hustle was another thing of like another young African-American man um, who was giving back to the community who dies too early. Mm. And so it felt like it tapped into that. I also think a, a part of this that people haven't recognized is um, I think Ellie, uh, Kobe represented L.A. in so many ways, mm-hmm. and not just that he was known for having the jersey, but Kobe came to Los Angeles when he was young and full of potential. Mm-hmm. And, and then he had a lot of trouble. And then, and and so, you know, people can like identify with 25 year old Kobe Mm -hmm. with all the potential and then the trouble and all that. But then at 40, like he was spending his time with his kids. He was really doing things right. It seemed like Uh, faith was a part of his life. So I think a lot of people can identify with 25 year old Kobe and they want to be like 40 year old Kobe. Mm -hmm. So it just, it, it really shook people pretty deep. Yeah. Hmm. You know, so the topic for this episode is just talking about the kingdom of God. And that's something that you've written about. You've written Mm -hmm. about it in two books. I can actually remember uh, JT and I were reading the crucified king about the same time. This was so this was the first year of the training program. (laughs) I had just gotten here. Kyle and I were talking about curriculum. We're building it out. And it was like, okay, the three themes of the year are going to be the story of the Bible. Christian theology and then spiritual formation and trying to kind of weave those things together Mm -hmm. as kind of the tapestry of discipleship. And if there was maybe 32 weeks planned, and if there was a week that I thought that one's in the bucket, that Mm -hmm. one's done, it's atonement. I've thought a lot about this. I wrote my thesis on on, uh, substitutionary atonement. So every other week, it was mass panic. It was like, what? What am I going to say yeah. coming down we, to the well, last minute? Well, we, we were writing the lectures day of, day before. <laughs> right? No, like minute before yeah, at times. Yeah, like yeah. It was like, and <laughs> the keynote's done, and I've got something to say to you right, with right, credibility right. and authority. You know, So that week it was like, oh, man, I can take a break. We can mm-hmm. breathe a little bit. I've got the lecture done. I'm going to read a book that, that, that Jeremy's written called The Crucified King. Yeah, yeah. And it got to Tuesday, and I had a lecture on Wednesday. I was like, dang it. I need to redo <laughs> this whole thing. Because for me, it was paradigm shifting. Oh, I yeah. need to think, and this is really what you've spent a lot of time helping people think about is the relationship between the kingdom of God, the person and work of Christ, the crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension, and how all of these things are fitting together. Because in, in theology, you have some people emphasizing the cross and some mm-hmm. emphasizing the kingdom of God. And really, yeah. two sc- I mean, it's an, it might be an exaggeration. You can tell us, two schools forming mm-hmm. that emphasize yeah. one or the other. But really – the Bible is trying to say these are these are talking about the same thing. Yeah. 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 
Yeah, I mean, I, I, I poured myself into that question for three years. Mm-hmm. So it's encouraging uh, to hear that being a benefit not only to you guys, but then in the program oh, as yeah. well. So it was it's huge. Awesome. It was well, huge. Go ahead. I was going to say, I think what you what you helped me do is, and you and I are part of a similar uh, or the same organization, the Center for Pastor Theologians, is doing theology or biblical theology or systematic theology at the highest level possible. At the same time, figuring out how does this how does this hit the church, and how do mm-hmm. we ask questions like how does the kingdom of God change the way I'm going to live tomorrow? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think what you helped me do is think through that in that category. That's mm-hmm. one of the reasons I'm glad you're here this weekend. So Jeremy's here doing a training program seminar for us, uh, you know, five or six lectures over the next couple of days with our training seven. program students. Seven. <laughs> is it perfect number? Right? Who's counting? Yeah, that's right. That's Who's right. counting? Um, but. But again, that's why I'm grateful you're here, is you're comprehending high but communicating low in a way that helps people think about the kingdom of God in their everyday yeah. lives. Yeah, I mean, I, I think theology is for life. That's right. And the, the church is the natural habitat for theology. So to be able to, to study deep and think really hard, but then be able to communicate in ways that can shape people's hearts and live out in their lives, that's what it's about. I totally agree. Let's yeah. talk about that for the next 45 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, we, and, and, we, and we can. I mean, so I, I think one of the things I'm fascinated by is that, so you're serving as a pastor in Los Angeles mm-hmm. in what is probably considered to be like globally an epicenter of culture, influence, power, wealth, a lot of markers of maybe what a kingdom could look like sure. or the pursuit of building your own kingdom. Yeah. Um, so as somebody who's trying to articulate the beauty of the kingdom of God in that setting, you've, you've probably had to learn really how to distinguish between the true kingdom of God and the false kingdoms of self. So let's start yeah. real big picture. What's the kingdom of God? Yeah, so, I mean, the kingdom of God is this expansive, glorious idea that we could talk about for eternity, and we will in the form, in the form of worship. Um, but it's also simple. I can explain it to my kids, and here's my, here's my eight-word definition of the kingdom of God. The kingdom is God's reign through God's people over God's place. So I'll break it down really quick. Um, first, it's God's reign. I mean, this is, like, so obvious that it's the kingdom of God. But people use the word kingdom all the time without connecting it to God at all. Mm-hmm. Um, kingdom work or, or something that impl- – people even talk about kingdom as this kind of utopian existence and they forget about God. But um, if you do that, you're totally off because the kingdom is this vision of the universe reordered around the sovereign love of God. So it's God's reign. we got to be clear from the beginning that the kingdom is not – our attempt to make the world a better place, the kingdom is not the culmination of our self, uh, of our effort. It's the intervention of God's royal grace. Hmm. But God reigns over and through a people, so he saves us. And salvation is related to the kingdom. We are saved out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of the beloved son. But now, not only does he reign over us, he reigns through us. So we're made in the image of God. We're meant to reflect his character, to represent his benevolent rule over the earth. And so he reigns through us, and where God reigns, or when God reigns, he reigns over a place as well. So God's reign through God's people over God's place. If you go back to uh, Genesis 1 and 2, you've got Eden, which is this garden kingdom, but that wasn't the goal. Uh, the goal was to go from a garden kingdom to a global kingdom mm-hmm. for God's people to spread the blessings of God's reign to nations. So the kingdom of God begins in the human heart, but it will one day extend by God's grace to the ends of the earth. 
So that's kind of a, an overview of the kingdom, God's reign through God's people over God's place. Okay. That's a good definition. Yeah, I think so. Um, Talk about timing. Like, uh, where are we now in yeah, the totally. timeline of where the kingdom of God is? Yeah, that's, that's really important. And this is where some of the debates and I would say some of the biggest mistakes happen because mm-hmm. you have, you have um, passages in Scripture um, that are very clear that the kingdom is present. The mm-hmm. kingdom is at hand, right? And then you have other passages that talk about the kingdom in terms of the future of right. what God will do in, with the renewal of all things. So the way that uh, many people have talked about this, and honestly, there's a real like consensus among scholars even with this, is that the kingdom is already and not yet. Mm-hmm. And we live in between the already and the not yet of the kingdom of God, which uh, you talk about practical theology for the church. I mean, being able to explain the tension of this life, the beauty mm-hmm. and the brokenness, to know that um, there's going to be pain, there's going to be difficulties, there's going to be tragedy, and yet we should expect to see God at work bring renewal and restoration. So that living in between the already and the not yet of the kingdom is huge for us as Christians today. So mm. how would you answer this question, when do I enter the kingdom of heaven? Or the kingdom of God. Yeah, well, when when you put your faith in Christ the King. Okay, so then why do we read things like in Acts 14.22 that say we must endure many hardships to enter the kingdom of God? What does yeah. it mean when we read a passage like that? Yeah, so that's one that's, that I would say is referencing the like future. entering the consummated kingdom, right. the finality right. of the kingdom, when all evil is banished and every tear is wiped away. So the language is used in different ways for sure. You know, it's interesting. I feel like Bruce Waltke in his Old Testament theology, he, he makes this distinction between particular and general rule and reign. You familiar with this? I feel like I've heard it. Okay, well, I haven't read it in so like, recently. <clears throat> uh, the kingdom of God or kingdom of heaven is something that God is establishing, right? He, he is establishing God's reign through God's people over God's place. Mm-hmm. But but some people are are entering into that, but everybody is a participant in it, right? Yeah. So, so I, I would the words I would probably use to distinguish that would be the sovereignty of God and the kingdom of God. Okay. So God's sovereignty being a very general term that's okay. covering everything. But, but I think the way that kingdom is used, especially in the new Testament is a redemptive reign. Mm. Okay. Um, so, but, but is, that is a helpful distinction. So, uh, because, uh, this kingdom that God is establishing, even if there are some who are entering in as worshipful participants, mm-hmm. everybody though is receiving, like everybody is uh, underneath that general rule. Yeah. I mean, God reigns over all. Right. The, the question is, do people receive it or do they resist it? Yeah. Uh, but everyone's under the reign of God. Yeah. But when we talk about the kingdom breaking in or we talk about entering into the kingdom, right. Then you're getting into the uh, particularly redemptive idea of becoming a citizen of the kingdom of God. How does this relate um, when we're when we're thinking about the development of this theme over the whole of Scripture? I mean, because kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven language is going to get its most explicit attention in the New Testament. But you're suggesting it's probably a, a helpful paradigm for the whole story. Oh yeah, well, and I I would even push back on that. I mean, okay. you you've got kingdom language all over the Old Testament. Sure. I mean, it's one of the primary themes of the Psalms. You just start well, it's going in Genesis one. Yeah, well. Yeah. And, and so, and you even get into the word concept fallacies with this, right? Because mm-hmm. king first first mention of kingdom or reign is in I think Exodus fifteen, mm-hmm. but you go back to Genesis one and two, yeah. and God is presented as a king. So mm-hmm. the psalmists talk about 
creation with God present with God as a king. Mm-hmm. And just think about it. How does how does a king reign by speaking? Mm. He speaks and it happens. Kings don't usually go and get their hands dirty. Yeah. So God's presented as a king who reigns through his word. And then uh, humanity is made in his image. And what are they called to do? To rule and subdue. Mm-hmm. So they're reflecting him. So ultimately, they're showing that he is royal in that as well. So I think you have that clearly in you have all the kingdom themes in Genesis 1 and 2. And then that playing out throughout the narrative. Um, so yeah. you would say, and I, I, I would say this. I just want to make sure this is what you're saying. The kingdom of God is the primary theme of, of the entire canon. I, I think that it's one of the. Be- I think it's the best way of, of course, summarizing other the themes. coherence and the yep. narrative of the canon. Yep. I don't think it's the only way. Right, right, right. I mean, people, you, you can do that with covenant. You can do it with mm-hmm. temporal. Right. You, there's a variety of ways that you can tell the story. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to um, the kingdom, I think you've got strong connections in, in Old Testament and New Testament. You've got Jesus himself summarizing the story as mm-hmm. kingdom. I mean, the first words out of the mouth of Jesus are the time is fulfilled, mm, the kingdom right. of God is at hand, mm-hmm. right? So I, I think it's the best meta theme that really captures all of it. We've really found a lot of success in the training program trying to teach that as the primary theme. So mm-hmm. we, when I was first preparing that first year, I read a book by Stephen Dempster called Dominion and mm-hmm. Dynasty. So good. And then, and so we thought, okay, if the kingdom of God is one of the main themes of the Old and New Testaments, uh, and dominion and dynasty is is kind of what this looks like as kingdom, mm-hmm. we we ended up using three categories. So we use dwelling, dominion, mm-hmm. and dynasty to try to define God's yeah. kingdom that He's dwelling with His people. Dominion is both place and work that you would that you would that you would take dominion of the place yeah. that God has given you to the ends of the earth. And that you would do it as a dynasty of image bearers because mm-hmm. you're representing and, and ruling on behalf of this king. Yeah. We've also started – Kyle's in a sermon series right now at uh, at Mosaic, and you're using a little bit of different language. What's yours again? Yeah, I'm using peop- uh, presence, people, place, and purpose. Have you found yes. it resonating with – Yeah, I have. Um, pr- also, I'm a Baptist. So, uh, like, I was like, if I'm going to do this, <laughs> Wait, what? it's alliteration. We, we, um, we call Kyle Capti Bapti on yeah. the podcast. We're all about name calling. For yes. sure, yeah. You stick around long enough, Jeremy. You might we'll come get up with something for you, man. It's um, pretty easy with my last name. <laughs> I guess, yeah, they would be. Um, yeah, no, I have. I think partly because, um, well, I was really influenced after we did the Dempster stuff by Ryan Lister's book on the presence of God mm-hmm. and Bill's work on the temple as mm-hmm. a primary motif, right, starting yeah. from the beginning. Uh, and the idea of Adam and Eve as, you know, royal, royal guardians and royal but but royal priests in particular mm-hmm. performing a liturgical yeah. function in the garden that then supposed to extend over the world, yep. and so those things kind of pushed me to thinking through presence, which we captured with dwelling. But I, and I, I really appreciate the way you answered that last question because I got to tell you, there are so many books, and you've probably read them, that start with the the decree of this is the singular biblical theme, right? Right? I mean, like here we go. Here is the one thing. It's my one shot at. Uh, I mean, how many? dissertations have been adapted into books that suggest this is the one angle on the story of scripture. So thank you for that generous answer. (laughs) Um, Because it's it's just, it it is so multifaceted. I guess I do want to ask you another question here. Um, So when you think about the kingdom and participants in that kingdom being a particularly redemptive presence, how does that square with how that concept is developed with Israel as a state over the course of the Old Testament? Because there's certainly the people that are closest uh, Mm -hmm. or that are... that are written into the story, right? Yeah. As the mm-hmm. most active participants, proclaimers and extenders of this kingdom. And yet they are all not de facto recipients of this redemptive presence. 
Unless yeah. you read Romans 9 through 11. Come well, on. That, uh, I'm just right. It's a joke. It's a joke. <laughs> well, it's, it's, uh, Israel is an example of the partial fulfillment of the promises of the kingdom. Yeah. So you think about people in place, right. and they are a people, yeah. but it's not the, it's not the nations yet, right? Yeah, right? And you've got that in Isaiah 42. It's too little of a thing yeah, to yeah. just reach Israel. The, the, uh, Israel is meant to be a vehicle to the nations. And then even in terms of place, yeah, they've got this strip of land, but the vision from the very beginning of the Bible has been the ends of the earth, all of creation rejoicing to the glory of God. And even David, David is a, is a, a new Adam type of figure mm-hmm. who's reigning on God's behalf. And he is a man after God's own heart. He represents him in so many ways. And yet, obviously, he's not perfect, right? He's not the fulfillment of that Messiah that's promised to come. Yeah. So I think Israel shows this partial fulfillment uh, that yet makes God's people long for the full for the fulfillment of that yeah. um, in the future. So we we should expect some level of discontinuity between the Old and New Testament on it. Yeah, for sure. Especially when you get to stuff like uh, like Israel being a nation, right? Right. Yeah. And which which when you get into conquests and mm-hmm. uh, dietary laws and all those kind of things is right. really helpful for acknowledging the difference because the the people of God are not a nation now. We're a people of all nations, yeah. and so that that changes the way that we understand God's reign in that era and this era. Yeah. What bridge is God calling you to cross that the gospel might go forth among the nations? Women like Lilia Trotter, Harriet Newell, and Sarah Hall Boardman Judson have indeed crossed their own bridges to get to the lost. Discover the stories of 10 inspiring female missionaries who changed the world for Christ. 10 Women Who Changed the World as Seminary President Daniel Aiken's powerful tribute to these women who fulfilled the Great Commission. May we all follow in their footsteps. 10 Women Who Changed the World is available wherever books are sold. We live in a possession and money-obsessed culture, but what does the Bible say about generosity? In his new book, A Short Guide to Gospel Generosity, author Nathan Harris shows us that the answer to our obsession with possessions is turning to the gospel, because only in the gospel can we find the type of life transformation that enables us to turn our focus from ourselves and back to others, to give generously, and to follow in the way of Christ. To learn more about the book, visit GuideToGospelGenerosity.com. That's GuideToGospelGenerosity.com. While this is one of the most vital topics, and we've all taught on this, you, I mean, you were teaching through Matthew two years ago, mm-hmm. so and then we teach on the training program. Yeah. Well, so it's a vital topic. You've written a book on it. You've written two books, really dealing with the topic in different ways. Um, it's. I find that it's a hard topic for mm-hmm. people to grasp. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, because kingdom language just feels very antiquated. Like it just feels old. Like yeah. what does it mean like, to? Well, yeah, oh. we don't really have kings and kingdoms and queens. Like no, we have never election been to my house. cycles, and well, we have no for sure. But like they don't necessarily see those as the same thing. No, yeah, I know. That's right. th- That's what yeah. I'm saying. Is I think in particular in our culture and right. you know in the United States, people are like, oh, like you mean like the crown, right? You know, right. like they don't right. they don't have a good concept of of what what we're after when we start talking about this. You've talked about this a ton. You you probably know the common roadblocks to people's understanding when we start talking about yeah. kingdom. Personally I feel like it's it's kind of a helpful uh 
word and categories for us because it's familiar enough that we kind of know what it is, mm-hmm. but it's distant enough. Like if we were saying Jesus is president instead oh, of yeah. Jesus right. is king, mm-hmm. that could be really confusing, yeah. right? Um, now there's positives of that. If it's like Jesus is Lord and sure. Caesar is Lord. But to be able to say Jesus is king and not clarify any allegiance that I have to a president or even to be able to say kingdom over country mm-hmm. is like a helpful a helpful way to think of things. Yeah. Now, I, I don't know in the UK if they can if that makes sense to them to right. say kingdom mm-hmm. over country, right? right. <laughs> but in, in some ways it's helpful because I can talk to non-Christians about that even mm. and to be able to say, well, to say Jesus is king means that he reigns over all of your life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like he's not just a spiritual teacher who gives some advice mm-hmm. for what you do with certain aspects of your life. Yeah. So I think there's advantages to it. There's certainly disadvantages to it sure. of, of, you know, of thinking of a ruler who doesn't actually have any power. And, you know, but, but I don't think most people are tempted to think of uh, when we talk about Christ the King, kind of yeah. in that sense. So, sure, how, we got to work through it. How do you feel this resonating with the people you teach this to at Reality LA? Like, when you talk about King and Kingdom, is this something that you feel like, man, they've got these ingrained categories for and they're ready to get it? What I feel like resonates about it is that it's language that's really comprehensive and broad. So, Kingdom is obviously political, mm-hmm. Kingdom obviously involves power. Um, which like even those two things are like, how do those fit with this kind of like, uh, associations that I have with my parents' religion, you know, Mm -hmm. something like that. So it's, it's, it's a very public understanding Mm -hmm. of the faith, which, which a lot of Christians don't have. They have a privatized understanding of the faith Mm -hmm. that it's just like me and God. And Mm -hmm. as long as I keep it to myself, then that's okay. Kingdom language doesn't allow for that. Right. Um, So I find it helpful in a lot of ways. It, I mean, even the language of like allegiance mm-hmm, is mm-hmm. is important in citizen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, like, yeah, the citizenship language is is really helpful in a city like L.A. Um, so there's a lot that I find that it's fitting to, and that it's for a lot of people it doesn't feel as like churchy as as some other language that they might hear, mm-hmm. which could might turn them off because of what they associate with that, with you know whatever wounds they have from the right. church. So getting intensely practical, though, yeah. so how does how does thinking of myself as a citizen of the kingdom mm-hmm. change the way that I interact with, like, a situation in the workplace or a parenting issue? Like, how, how do I handle it differently, seeing myself as, a, as someone who is submitting to the reign and rule of a king versus yeah. some of the other more popular conceptions of Christianity? Yeah, so let's take, like, the workplace, for example. Um, as citizens of the kingdom, a kingdom has its own culture, mm-hmm. right? So we we have a culture in our kingdom of we see the dignity in people before we see even their need, right? Mm-hmm. Let alone their sin. Mm-hmm. Um, and we we look for opportunities to serve rather than kind of take advantage of people to to work our own way up. So my the culture of the kingdom that I'm a part of is is triumphs kind of a an office culture, for example, mm-hmm. that that everyone else is going to appeal to. And so, and we all feel that if you're in a workplace and the culture is that whenever the boss is out of the office that you talk bad about them or you, you cut corners to, to be able to get things done quicker when it's not good integrity, you have something to appeal to rather than just my own personal strength, so to speak, that I, I'm a citizen of the kingdom of God that comes with a different culture. We do things different and I'm learning to function as a citizen of the kingdom in this space. Mm-hmm. So... I don't know if that's intensely practical. Um, 
uh, in the answer, but it, it's a, it, it helps me to appeal to something outside of my own willpower uh, for being able to be genuinely different in a, in a space where, where there's going to be a different culture. But how might a Christian miss that if they have an underdeveloped or atrophied idea of kingship as part of their belief? Yeah, that's a good question. I, well, so the way I was just kind of teasing that out was a little bit of the communal nature of the kingdom and even like the culture side of it, that it has its own culture. That if I just think, well, I said a prayer and um, Jesus is my Lord and Savior, but now I've got to like try really hard Otherwise, like, I'm not going to be a good Christian. Mm -hmm. I I don't think that kind of motivation is going to be very powerful in a workplace environment. Or even sustainable. Yeah, not Mm -hmm. sustainable. Yeah. So uh, there's probably a lot of different ways you could go with that. But that's one way that kingship provides uh, more, like, robust categories, motivation, all of it. So JT and Kyle were probably little tiny babies when this was a, an issue in the church. But how Why? Does, how Why does the shade? This, no, that's, I mean, be, ha- be happy about it. Uh, I, I'm just basically calling myself old. Um, but I, I think about the whole lordship the salvation controversy that was so big, you know, in the church 20, 30 years ago. And that seems to – are you too young for that too? You're looking at me like, what are you talking about? I- I like know is a big controversy. Oh my gosh! Yeah, it was the whole it was the whole deal about like, can you be saved? Yeah. But then basically, sanctification doesn't happen because you've just asked Jesus into your heart, but you haven't. But he's not he's not king of your right king of your yeah. life. You're not submitting to his yeah. his reign and rule. So without addressing the controversy, uh-huh. I know a little bit. Great, you're I, all I, I li- three I little live, teeny babies. I live near the epicenter of yeah, it. Um, yeah, you do. But but I do think that the kingship language helps us connect conversion and sanctification I in really totally helpful agree. ways. Because mm-hmm. you're brought into the kingdom, right? Like, think about how beautiful um, the the kingdom gives us even language for salvation, that we're rebels who have been made sons and daughters and given a place at the table, mm-hmm. right? Like, that's salvation. Mm-hmm. And But then as citizens of the kingdom, we're called to follow the king mm-hmm. and to represent the king. And so I, I think that that... Um, yeah, I, th- I think that helps connect those two. And mm-hmm. you see this in Mark chapter 1. Jesus, first thing out of Jesus' mouth, time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe in the gospel. The next thing he does is he goes and calls the disciples and mm-hmm. says, follow me. Mm-hmm. So people miss the connection of that because in our Bibles, there's this white space in between and, mm-hmm. and a break in the Greek. Mm-hmm. That's not there in the original language. Right. He goes right from talking submit. about the kingdom of God mm-hmm. to follow me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So discipleship and the kingdom are intensely connected in the scriptures. There's been a lot of works written over the last few years about a term you've already used on allegiance of like trying to help people understand what it means to have faith in Christ. It might be helpful to have a broader category of allegiance, and I think that's kind of what you're teasing out here. One of the things that we do in the training program is I'll go to – well, even back to your dissertation topic and kind of I think where where you spend a lot of your time researching – is trying to tease out the distinction or the differences between kingdom and cross. So, like, if you ask an evangelical Christian, what is the gospel, they'll probably Mm -hmm. tell you, Jesus died on the cross to forgive me of my sins so that I might have eternal life with him. And that's entirely true. But then we'll take them to Matthew, what, chapter Mm 4? I'm preaching on it this weekend, so say some helpful things. Yeah, (laughs) this is Matthew 4, 23. So this is, in terms of just redemptive history, this is before the cross. Mm -hmm. And it says that Jesus went throughout all Galilee teaching in their synagogues, and was proclaiming the gospel 
of the kingdom <laughs> right. in healing every disease so, and every affliction. So, like, what's he saying? Yeah, like, what? He hasn't died yet. Like, he hasn't died yet. <laughs> there has been no cross. There yeah. has been no yeah. resurrection. There has been no... Right. And so we'll kind of just let them dissonance, we find, is one of the most helpful teachers, yeah. <laughs> right? No, I, like, no you're, you're asking a question like this, but, like, I was... So there, I'm discipling this new believer. Yes. And we're reading through the Gospel of Matthew right now. He just came to faith, no religious background. And in Matthew 4, he said... Um, we're, we're in Matthew 4 because I'm discipling through what I'm preaching in the week up. All right. Um, double bang for your buck. Uh, and I was, he was like, gospel of the kingdom. I was like, yeah. He was like, so Jesus was talking about the gospel? I was like, yeah, like his whole earthly ministry. He was like, what was he saying? Right. He was like, because the gospel is that he's going to die, right? And I was like, that's a, like, that's a legitimate question, yeah. right? Or you could think about like Matthew chapter 16. Who do you say that I am? Right. Well, you're, you're not Elijah. You're not John the Baptist. You're the king. You're the Christ. Mm-hmm. You're the one who's come. Yeah. Well, you're right. I must suffer or die. No, 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 no. Far be it from you, Lord. Uh, because kings don't die on a cross. They're supposed to yeah. reign from thrones. Right. And so help us, rather, mm. than, rather than see these things as separate categories, yeah. how, how are the gospels... Uh, binding these two or forging these two ideas together well, of kingdom and cross? Yeah, it's a great question. And I would say it's not just the Gospels. Right. Because um, you have Jesus doing this in Mark 1 and Matthew 4, I think Matthew 8 again. Um, but Isaiah 52 mm. is the background for this, where you've got this imagery of someone bringing a message, this good news mm-hmm. of victory. And the good news is one that brings peace and happiness and all of that. But here's the announcement your God reigns or mm-hmm. our God reigns, right? So it's the kingdom is here. So even when Jesus connects gospel and kingdom, I think he's he's showing all the way back to Isaiah 52 that there's this connection of those. So here's the thing. It's good news that God reigns because he reigns with grace and mercy and love. Mm. If, 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 we all, if all we knew about God is that he reigns with justice and judgment— then it wouldn't be good news for us. It would be bad news because we deserve judgment because of our sin. So what we're seeing there is he's saying God's kingdom is coming. It's breaking in. It's God's reign that will be uh, expressed in salvation and judgment. But that's pointing forward to where that grace and love and mercy will be shown in its fullness in the cross. And so that's why even you go back to Isaiah 52. We know what comes after Isaiah 52, Isaiah Mm -hmm. 53, where you have this surprise, behold my servant. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, right after all this kingdom language, mm-hmm. and you've got this, this sacrificial atonement Im- imagery coming from that. So the way that I would talk about the gospel is the gospel is this um, multifaceted. There's one gospel. It's this beautiful multifaceted message. Um, it's this good news ultimately in Christ, or it's the good news of Christ that he's bringing the kingdom and he does so through his death and his resurrection. Yeah. So that's the reconciliation of sinners and the renewal of heaven and earth. And it's where we see that God reigns with justice and grace yeah, exactly. through Christ. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, that is good news. You know, Wait, but did we answer the question about how Jesus is giving the gospel? Well, like what is he saying in yeah, Matthew? Yeah, like what is he saying? Will you tell us? No. That's why we put Jeremy <laughs> over there so he could answer these questions. Yeah, yeah so I, I think he's saying it's it's – the, the time is fulfilled is the language yeah. he uses mm-hmm. in Mark 1. Everyone's hopes is that God would return as king, that God's reign would break in and bring renewal. Mm-hmm. And so that was the, 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 those are the promises of the Old Testament. And he's saying, the time is now and that's happening in me. 
So I think that's what, when he says the good news of the kingdom, mm-hmm. the kingdom is breaking in. This is the time everyone's been waiting for, and it's happening in me. Is that what's so offensive to the Pharisees and Sadducees? Because he's not, I mean, of course he's making claims to divinity, but he's also making political claims, mm-hmm. right? He's making religious and political claims that get them off of their throne. Yeah. And they don't like the, they're, they're not ready for the nature of the kingdom being what it is. Right. They want the kingdom to come in force and he's bringing it in service. That's right. You know, I forget if you explore this in the crucified king because you do such even going back to Isaiah was a reminder that you do such good work in that book uh, in Isaiah. Um, that's just another shameless plug for that book. When I read it the first time, I was incredibly grateful it had been written and incredibly frustrated because I was like, who is this guy who's pastoring some church and he had this time to write this good of a book? I was like, well, we had our seminary students read it this week, and I probably got 15 text messages of like, what? Because we kind of tease it throughout the year. And like, why yeah. did you not have us read this first? <laughs> you know, because yeah. it kind of answers questions. So is there any significance in Matthew um, that uh, – so so Jesus' baptism, that's my son, beloved, mm-hmm. whom I am well pleased. And then before there is the pronouncement of the kingdom, the gospel of the kingdom, which yeah. happens later, yeah. it, you have the wilderness temptation. Mm-hmm. Is there any? Is there anything that – that we should draw from the fact that the temptation and the defeat of Satan happens before uh, the, the pronouncement of the kingdom? Is there a reason for that? Um, let's see. There's a lot of questions there. I, I think of the baptism as the anointing yeah. of Christ mm-hmm, sure. and the cross as the coronation of Christ. Right. And the and then in terms of the testing in the wilderness, I think what you've got going on there is showing that Jesus is a true Israel yeah. mm-hmm. and that there's a new exodus yeah. coming about. Right. So and and all of that's deeply connected to kingdom. Yeah. And I've studied this a lot more in Mark, so you could speak to it in Matthew, but in Mark the new the new Exodus theme is really clear. Yeah. And that's all connected to Exodus and kingdom are really related because yeah. when when the people are brought through the Red Sea, the declaration is our God reigns, yeah. mm-hmm. um, yeah. and they're on their way to to the Promised Land to set up the kingdom. Uh, so all of that's connected. I think that's where I think kingdom helps make sense of some of those stories in yeah. the New Testament. Yeah, definitely in the Matthew account, it's mirroring the Exodus, right? Because yeah. the Red through Sea the water, corresponds yeah. to baptism, yeah. and then the forty years in the wilderness, forty days in the wilderness. Yeah. And then the establishment of the kingdom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and in Mark, uh, there's there's hints that it might even be um, new Israel and new Adam as well. It talks about yeah. the beasts. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't remember in Matthew if it does or not, but you you definitely get that elsewhere you yeah. know, uh, of, of Jesus being a new Adam and a new Israel. Yeah. So one thing I want to make sure we get to is, is again, Jimmy, what I appreciate about you so much is you're, you're able to interact with these ideas at an academic level, but at the same time, you're making hospital visits and you're preaching and you're interacting with broken marriages. How have you seen the kingdom of God come to bear on the people that you specifically are pastoring? Mm. Not like, how could this be good for pastoral ministry? But like, you don't need to give names or situations, but like, where is the kingdom of God helping people understand both the brokenness and beauty of the world and their role in what God is doing? Mm. Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I think, um, I think the the sovereignty of God in general is such a uh, part of a role of a pastor is to remind people that God is sovereign and he's good Mm -hmm. and to trust him. Mm -hmm. Right. And in the, in the midst of that, uh, part of what's beautiful about the way that we're talking about kingdom and cross is that, that it's, 
it could be easy to hear sovereignty of God and trust God and to think, well, he's really strong, but he's also really distant. And maybe he's like, he's all wise, but he's like so far above me that he doesn't understand me. Mm -hmm. But when we see God's sovereignty expressed in service, Mm -hmm. when we see him coming and laying down his life in love and that being an expression of reigning, uh, then, then there's a sense of our, this king is a father mm-hmm. who's not only strong, but he's gentle and he's compassionate and he's caring. And so I think in that of like being able to call people to both the, the strength and tenderness of God, um, I, think, I think you have all of that. I mean, so a great image of this in the Old Testament, especially is shepherd. Mm. And shepherd was royal imagery. Um, in, in the Old Testament, kings would, would be known to, to shepherd That's their right. people. And so to think of the, the shepherd who can both fight off the wolves and then pick up the wounded mm. sheep and mm. carry it, uh, I think pastorally, man, we, we need to be able to point people to a God who can do both of those things. That's right. Oh man, thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, this honestly, is great. this Thanks is awesome. Having me. Yeah, just delighted that you're here and delighted. I, listen, I cannot more heartily recommend um, Jeremy's work, Crucified King, Atonement, and Kingdom and Biblical and Systematic Theology, and, the, the top, and then a more recent one too. Yeah, Seek First, yeah. right? How the Kingdom of God Changes Everything. That came out last year. Yeah, almost about this time, April. Okay, that's great. And if you wanted to just you know like invite us out to check out. Those yeah, palm LA. trees we saw yeah, on your we front. We don't need to do anything. We just hang out in your front yard. <laughs> cool. We could just do, like we could like capture another show like on your front yard. Oh, yeah, for sure. I think that'd <laughs> be great. That'd be a great, great reality. Those helicopters going to be For more information, you can look into the show notes in the podcast description. We'd be honored for you to leave us a podcast review on iTunes or wherever you find your podcast. You can find us online at trainingthechurch.com. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter by searching Knowing Faith. We'll see you next time. Grace and peace. Thank you.